in Bristol. We've been there for about 10 years, leave that with my husband, Owen. And um, this is Dan. Dan's one of our associate pastors and um, oversees small groups um, in our church, along as well as a whole range of other things that he dips his hands into as well. Um, so this seminar is about small groups. So if you lead a small group, if you're thinking about leading a small group, or if you oversee small groups, then this seminar is for you, so you're really welcome, and it's great to have you here. Um, the aim of today really is a conversation starter, looking at how we lead and produce um, small groups that are healthy and sustainable and reproducible as well. And, um, you know, for each of us, our heart is for the people that we lead, that they would thrive in their walk with Jesus and be all that God has called them to be. That's why we do what we do. And we all know um, that community groups is the best place, or community, and our small groups is the best place for that to happen. Um, but so often, it, the actually encouraging people to be in small groups is a little bit harder um, than it sounds. And if we could get everyone into a small group, then we have the contrasting issue of having enough groups for people or having enough healthy leaders um, to lead healthy groups. Um, so that's what we're going to be looking at today. <clears throat> we're going to look, be looking at the things that um, either uh, facilitate or prevent um, this happening. So as I said, it is a conversation starter. This is such a broad subject, and we can't go deep on some of the issues, but our hope is that some of the things that we're going to talk about today will just stimulate some thoughts, that there might be a nugget, there might be a conversation or an idea that's shared um, that God might use just to take you um, to that next step. So with that in mind, we've actually invited a number of other um, church uh, leaders or staff members to come and share from their experiences as well today. And um, they come from a variety of backgrounds, having different experiences and differing viewpoints. So it's not about right and wrong. It's about sharing from their contacts what they've, uh, context, what they have found helpful um, through what they've done. Um, so our hope is that whatever context you are in, um, whatever background you're coming from, there might be something that is relevant to you. So um, I'm going to hand over to Dan in just a moment, but a couple of things. One is to say there will be an opportunity for questions. So if you do have any questions, um, we will have time throughout the session, but also particularly at the end. We're going to try and move, things through, move through things quite swiftly, because there's a lot to pack in, um, but there will be an opportunity at the end. Um, the other thing is, is that we're going to pass around <coughs> this form. Um, if you are interested in exploring this conversation, in taking this conversation further, we're exploring what this might look like in terms of staying connected, in terms of supporting each other, um, sharing resources, what this could look like in terms of potentially a platform or connecting in some other way. So if you're interested in staying connected with this conversation as it continues, then if you can leave your, as your contact details, 
Also, um, we're going to be hearing from Jason Clark from Sutton um, as well. He's going to be on the panel, but him and Stephen from his church um, are doing some research, just looking into some of the health factors um, that affect small groups. And if you're happy for them to give you a call, to have a little bit of a chat, to hear things from your perspective and your experiences, then if you also indicate that on here um, and they'll get in touch with you, they'd be delighted to talk to you. So I'm going to pass that round and then I'm going to hand over to John. Okay, thank you, Claire. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. And first of all, respect for making it this afternoon. Uh, graveyard shift after lunch on the last day. Thank you for being with us, and we trust it be really worthwhile. Uh, as Claire said, I oversee small groups at Seven Vineyard. Um, and uh, what I want to do is just give you a little snapshot of what it looks like for us at the moment, uh, and then some of the questions that we're asking. And we're coming into this very much uh, as learners as well. We're excited to hear uh, the expertise of some of those on the panel too. So let me just show you a snapshot of what it looks like uh, at Seven Vineyard. And I want you to just be thinking about like, what's similar to the way that we're doing it, where we're at, uh, what's different. Um, is there anything you like, anything you want to steal, uh, or anything that you want to uh, tell us to improve? So um, this is our little brochure that goes out every term, at uh, the start of every term. We produce this, we print it, uh, but of course the content also goes up on our website. And uh, you can see there that we, we call them community groups rather than small groups, but essentially it's the same thing. We've tried hard to find language that we think would communicate with people kind of outside the church as well as uh, those who call Seven their home. Um, and really the, the, the key purposes we communicate are connecting with God, uh, connecting with people, meeting with God, and making a difference. And it's kind of those three messages all at the same time. So our bread and butter kind of groups, or kind of our traditional home group model, we actually call open house groups. Uh, again, just trying to communicate to people that these are open. It's really important to us that they are uh, open to neighbors and friends, as well as open to new people at seven. And we've got 10 of these uh, running across the city. So we're in Bristol, which is about 400,000 people. It's quite a uh, spread out city, so it covers a large area. We've got these 10 groups at the moment uh, that are running, and those are kind of your typical um, bread and butter delivery of pastoral care and discipleship as well, kind of on a week to week basis. People sharing life together, people eating, reading the Bible, etc. Uh, so that, that's one side of what we do. Alongside that, uh, a few years ago, I think about three years ago now, uh, partly inspired by the Activate model that many of you will be familiar with, we decided to also open up different kinds of groups. And this was really a recognition that one size doesn't necessarily fit all, and that there are people who are kind of uh, around seven or part of seven for whom the idea of going to somebody's home every week, you know, a stranger's home potentially, sitting together in a living room, talking about how they're doing, maybe how they're feeling, even worse, maybe standing up and worshipping together. For some people, that was you know, simply not what they were ready for at that point or something they found very socially awkward. And it is unusual, isn't it, if we're, if we're kind of honest about it. So, um, so one size doesn't fit all. We tried these uh, kind of different expressions. We started groups around activity. So at the moment, we've got three that are continuing. It's a gospel choir, a climbing group, and a group of, of parents and, uh, and toddlers. Um, at the same time, we wanted to be really intentional about helping people to focus in on an area of their walk with God where they could really invest in it, learn from an expert, and go deeper in a specific thing. So we call those our course-based groups. Uh, at the moment, we've got one called a life course, which is for people exploring faith, 
We've got Translating God, which is a prophecy course uh, based on some material by Sean Boltz, and we've got a songwriting course. So I think it's great that these things are happening. Part of the intention for it, uh, inspired by Activate, was also that people are living busy lives, and we don't want to just create lots of additional meetings, like we're already asking people to attend on Sundays and be part of the midweek group, and now if you want to do a course, it's an additional meeting. So we wanted to try and reduce that pressure a little bit. Uh, and, and take the Activate idea of kind of termly groups that people sign up you know, for a temporary period of time uh, and invest in something specific. So those are kind of all happening and it's almost like a hybrid model where we've kind of gone halfway towards Activate because we still wanted the home groups uh, that are kind of ongoing, long-term community and discipleship to be happening too. So we didn't go all the way, we kind of went halfway but we did facilitate this. And then the final layer that's in this brochure, uh, we call networks. Uh, and this is just recognizing that uh, some people connect uh, around different things. Uh, uh, we've got some people who are like flag bearers or champions of certain things. Uh, so, you know, we've got a chap called Christian who just loves gaming and gathers people around gaming. It's not a weekly thing. It's not even a, a fortnightly thing. It kind of happens from time to time. But we value it. And we value it because it's a different space. It's, uh, for some people, kind of a first step in towards, towards the church kind of community uh, and discovering more about Jesus. So we wanted to, to celebrate that and recognize it uh, as a thing that we value. So we call those networks. So those are the four kind of uh, types of group that we have. Uh, what it doesn't tell you is kind of uh, where we've got to in terms of health. So we've got about 200 adults that we... Uh, are aware of that call Seven Vineyard their, their church. And out of those, about 60% are part of a open house act, uh, activity group or course group. Okay, so meeting weekly in one of those three different ways. Um, about 40% of our people are part of the open house group, so kind of the traditional home group, which we do see as really essential for us to deliver effective pastoral care and discipleship. So what we're presenting is kind of not a finished product. It's not something that we're yet totally happy with. This is kind of just for us uh, what the reality is. Uh, a couple of other things just to mention that have developed over the last few years. is One is around how we support our leaders. So we asked them uh, about a year ago, what do you think you really need? What do you feel that you need uh, in terms of being able to lead these groups effectively? And uh, one of them was around training from people who know what they're talking about. Uh, so I don't know what that said about those of us who were delivering the training, <laughs> but we want, we, want, we want input from experts, that was kind of the thought. So we've actually started that kind of subject matter expert training idea, uh, and uh, Joe Gresty came down from Trent Vineyard and did a session on pastoral care, kind of 101, it was super helpful. Uh, we've got another lady coming down to do something on mental health, and we've basically built a spiral curriculum now for over the next three years how we're going to train our leaders, and just got more intentional about that. The second thing that people communicated as a felt need was to walk alongside someone who is kind of a step ahead, kind of a coaching or a mentoring idea. Um, and so what we did is we actually disbanded our structure of support for our leaders, which we called clusters, uh, which were group meetings with other leaders. Um, and, and actually we found that people felt more supported and cared for and heard if it was one-to-one. -one. So we've now built a team, like a coaching team, uh, who are each responsible for one-to-ones or kind of leader with uh, a group of leaders uh, that's happening once a term. 
So our leaders are getting a subject matter expert in once a term, and they're getting a coaching meeting once a term as well. And then we've got our all leaders meetings as well, which also happen once a term. So that's kind of what it looks like. Um, we love it. Uh, it's not finished, as I said, it's not quite where we want it to be. And so we're delighted to have uh, people doing things in different ways that we can kind of steal ideas from. And hopefully we can kind of relate back to some of this and you're welcome to pick our brains afterwards as well. Claire, tell us about the panel. Fantastic. So yeah, I'm just going to introduce our panel. If you'd like to come up and listen as well. So come and grab a seat. Um, so we're delighted to have these guys with us. And again, just, just to say that coming from a variety of different backgrounds, just to address some of the issues that we commonly um, come across um, when we're leading or overseeing small groups um, in our church. So um, we have um, Elinid Swetnam from Melton. You'd like to come and take a seat? Um, oh, I'm so sorry. Elinid Owen. Sorry, I do need you. Oh, so married to Neil Swetnam. Sorry, I do apologise. I do know Elinid and have them for many, many, many years. <laughs> um, so Elinid um, has it leads Melton Mowbray um, Vineyard, planted from Trent 12 years ago. So Melton is a market town, and um, one of the things that, uh, that works particularly well for you guys is the whole activate model. So you're going to be sharing about that in just a moment. We have Joe Gresty. Do you want to come and have a seat? Anywhere you like. So Joe is here at Trent has been overseeing um, small groups since 2013, but also has oversight of pastoral um, support and also um, recovery um, groups and, and that kind of stuff along those lines. Brilliant. Um, we're gonna, uh, Rob, if you'd like to come and grab a seat. Rob Wimwell is from Riverside Vineyard. He's been there for 13 years with his wife. Um, but for the last three years, he's been on staff overseeing small groups in your context. And um, Jason, would you like to come and join us as well? Um, so Jason, um, along with Bev, they leave, leave Sutton Vineyard. I don't know, for how many years have you done that, Jason? Wow, so 22 years. So Jason, along with Stephen here, um, who's one of the small group coaches at Sutton, um, they have started doing some research into some of the health factors that affect small groups, and they're going to be sharing a little bit about that as well in a little while. So back over to Jeff. Brilliant. So uh, one thing I didn't mention is where that model that I've talked about has kind of landed us in terms of questions that we're asking. And so for Claire and I, this is uh, kind of where we're coming at this from. Is these are things that we're kind of uh, mulling over at the moment around why aren't more people committing? Why isn't our uh, participation higher than it, than it is? Um, how is the Activate model affected uh, or the uh, the impact of our groups has it aided it or has it hindered it um, and i think there's probably pros and cons uh, to any model including the one we're using how do we raise up those new leaders uh, on an ongoing basis what about people who have led groups in the past and now have not re-engaged yeah, what can we do to encourage them more and finally what about the particular kind of culture and size of our city um, how does that impact how we deliver community uh, through our groups so that's where we're coming from, and I'm going to start with Elinid and uh, ask you to describe a little bit about uh, your town, uh, Melton Mowbray, and also about how Activate has kind of looked for you. So I've described Activate very broadly, but perhaps for those of you, uh, those who aren't familiar, to actually describe it, how it's worked for you, and then how uh, you deliver that in a place like Melton. Okay. Well, Mel Melton Mowbray is a market town. We've got about um, 30,000 people in the town, but we also pull quite a bit from the villages around. 
and so that would be up to sort of a catchment area of about 50,000 people, I suppose. And we adopted the Activate system. Oh, do you want me to explain the Activate system? Okay. The Activate system came from a book by a guy called Nelson Searcy. And basically, Steve Nicholson came over for a forum a few years ago and just threw this into a conversation and said, well, you know, we do the Activate system, we change small groups every term. And he was, that wasn't what he was talking about, but about 20 pastors put their hands up and said, hang on a sec, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Change groups every term, tell us about that. And there was a sense that for some people this might help answer a few problems. So the idea is that every term you are relaunching your small groups and I would say that administratively there's a certain amount of work in this and I would also say, starting with a negative, that must say something about me, that I wouldn't do this when you're a small church plant. I, I think the ideal way to start is to start with one or two small groups and then you plant out from there and you plant out from there because that's the best way to establish the DNA. But what happened to us was that we went from having about 80% of the church buying into small groups when we were fairly small, to as we grew, as we got to about 100 people, suddenly we looked at the stats and there were about 49% of people signing up to small groups. And we thought, oh, that's not so good. And one of the advantages we found about being in a town is that you have a lot of long stayers. People don't seem to be so mobile as in a city, um, you know, moving off for different jobs and things. And that's great, but what can happen is you say to new people, come along, join a small group, they've been meeting for five years, they all know each other very well, good luck with trying to integrate into that. Um, and we found that by having this big launch of new small groups every term, suddenly the buy-in went up back up to about 82%. And we thought maybe that's just the first term, but that continued. And another positive thing we found that was that where people would lead a small group for a few years and then feel completely burnt out, and say, right, I've got to stop, and then maybe they'd never lead a small group again, you would have a few people wandering around in deep misery because their small group had closed and they didn't want to join another small group because their small group is so fantastic. Um, more people were willing to be small group leaders because we say to everyone, if you can lead two terms out of three, that's great, then have a break. And so we have people leading who are really capable, but because of very demanding jobs or large young families, they perhaps wouldn't otherwise do it. Mm -hmm. um, what else did you ask me to talk about? Oh, we do have two groups that run all, all the year round because that works for people who would prefer that. And we sort of get their arms up their backs and say every six terms you need to take a term off. But that works. But I, t I tell you the problem that it does create though, and that's a pastoral one. Okay. Because we say that you are the first point of pastoral care if you lead a small group, but what happens if something really big happens between one term and another? Whose responsibility is that person? So we now say that they're responsible 
they're, they're the responsibility of the last group that they were in until they join a new group. And we also have a pastoral care team to whom more serious things can be referred. But we've had to put more pastoral stuff in because, like anything, it's not an ideal system. It's answered some of our problems, it's created one or two others. Uh, but if you want a look at one of our books, which is also online, I've got a few of these um, with me. Brilliant. Thanks. And then can you just tell us a little bit as well about how you train leaders for the Activate model? You know, if they're, if they're only doing one or two terms a year, what, what does training and recruitment of new leaders look like? Um, well, recruitment of new leaders is very similar to the way we've always done it. We ask if there's someone in your group who, who might be a potential leader. People are more willing to come forward with people in this system because they're less worried about losing them from their group because they know their group's only running a term, if that makes sense. And what the training that we do is um, Friday night and all day Saturday, the sort of intensive training, and we, we work through a booklet which I think started with Trent and has been extensively remodelled since then, and then we have a meeting every term to do a bit of refresher training with whoever's leading a small group. Brilliant. Thank you, Ellen, so much. And um, you've touched on pastoral care there, which is a good opportunity. Claire, do we want to create space for uh, people to ask Ellen anything specifically, or come back to that? I think if there's just any, just one quick clarifying question that somebody might have, yeah, and then other questions if we save them up for the end. But yes, if there's absolutely. It's annual and it's just for people who've never led a group before, unless it's years since they've led a group in which led a group in which case we might suggest they do it again. Wonderful, thank you. Okay, so we will have time to come back for other specifics about the Activate model. Um, let's uh, turn to Joe and asking um, a little bit about pastoral care specifically, because you oversee pastoral care at Trent Vineyard, mm -hmm. as well as. Um, uh, overseeing small groups and recovery groups, and I'm sure there's never a dull moment for you. Um, so tell us uh, some of the kind of nuggets or pearls of wisdom that you picked up around pastoral care delivered through small groups, and how you keep your leaders uh, kind of motivated and healthy as well. Um, yeah, so as, as large as Trent is on a Sunday, we could probably have nearing a thousand adults in our auditorium. It's uh, strange how culture um, sort of like perpetuates itself from um, year to year and decade to decade because whenever somebody has something wrong, they still gravitate towards the senior pastors. Um, so it's, for us, it's really important that we have a system whereby we can signpost people to because there's no way that obviously John and Debbie can get involved in that kind of thing. And... Um, also, even as a team, as a small group team who concentrate at least in part on overseeing all of the pastoral care, we haven't got the capacity. As large as we are as a church, we couldn't possibly um, oversee every single pastoral situation that arises. So I have to say, without doubt, our small group leaders and our cluster leaders that oversee them and guide them and support them, they are the pastors of Trent. Um, 
pretty much all of our pastoral care, bar for the odd kind of anomalies are handled within small groups. So um, we find it really important as part of our tra training to help our leaders understand that. So we go through um, in the training about the whole structure of how they're supported in terms of having a cluster leader to go to. Every cluster leader looks after about three or four small groups. And within that time when they gather, perhaps at the moment bi-monthly, it, it might sort of like um, change a little to be twice a term. Um, they have the chance to sort of like just download what's going on in their group and what they'd like to ask about, get encouragement for, prayer for, but more importantly, how they are as individuals, because often small group leaders can't offload within a small their small group setting what's going on for them. So it's really important for them to feel valued and supported. And then we also go through in the training to say, look, we do not expect you to be experts. There's this whole structure of people that are looking after you. Uh, you have input from leaders' events and leaders' meetings. Um, but there's also these other things that you can signpost to in terms of courses and other agencies, Women's Aid, um, our Compassion Ministry that is practical provision, you know, food, clothing, etc. Um, and just reminding them of the re all the resources that are available to them. And I think what we find is, once we've sort of like spelt it out, that we don't expect them to be experts and to be able to answer everything, it's almost like they feel relieved. And then suddenly that injects new energy and they're like, I can cope, I'm okay, you know. And they do an absolutely amazing job at looking after our people. Um, we encourage them to have conversations early on within their small groups, just in terms of setting expectations. Make sure your small group members know that you have um, you know, a full-on work life and a family life. You haven't got infinite capacity to be involved in their lives. And there's an element to which sometimes we have to remind people that they are responsible for their own lives. And though we can support them, ultimately they're the ones that have to start making the better decisions and we can signpost them, but they have to be the ones that, that make those choices. Um, we always say to people, look, if you get stuck, talk to your cluster leader. If cluster leaders get stuck, come and talk to a small group team and we'll happily get involved in situations. We do regular training so that leaders feel invested in and informed. So I would thoroughly recommend sort of like just basic listening skills as a, um, a, a pretty regular kind of training that you might do annually or so or might form part of um, a potential leader's kind of training because listening is so important um, to know that you're, that person is understood. Um, understanding grief, bereavement and loss is key because we face it in so many different situations in our lives. It's not just about losing someone, it might be about um, the effects that it has on a family when a teenager has to move school or anything like that, so that's really important. Uh, mental health awareness is something that we're really pressing into at the moment because it has had such a stigma attached to it in the past and people have sort of like, um, I guess, been concerned about, like, worried about doing the wrong thing. So we've had people that are trained in mental health come in and talk to our leaders and help to dispel some of those fears. Boundaries, really key. Henry Cloud's book on boundaries, um, it forms um, a, a 
part in so many different aspects of training here at Trent, not just for small groups, but in teams as well. Really important for people to know what healthy boundaries look like for them, especially if they're going to leave for the long haul. Um, and also, every now and again, we provide um, like situations that we did with your training where we offer a few different scenarios for people to talk through. Oh, how would you approach that? Um, it's quite um, interesting in the sense that, you know, two people could come to you with exactly the same kind of situation, but because they're two individuals, you can't address it in exactly the same way. Do you know what, do you know what I mean? You have to understand people, you have to understand individuals. But what you can do over time is perhaps develop a framework so that though you might not necessarily do exactly the same thing every time, you have a consistent approach to how you're going to address issues that arise. And you can go th that through that with your leaders so they understand values like belong, believe, behave. Have you heard of that before? Where we want to make sure people feel like they are included before they have to understand what we believe and then that works itself out in terms of how they behave. So consistent framework. Um, when we do face sticky situations that do come all the way up to the small groups team, if we can, we try to involve the cluster leaders or small group leaders so they're on the job learning with us. We're not there as experts. Sometimes we just perhaps have a little more confidence or we just want to them to have the courage of thinking, you don't have to take the front spot here. If there's any firing to be done, it's going to come at me, not you. Um, and just give them that opportunity to learn in that um, environment. Um, and, and just finally, uh, we say as, as many times as we can to our people, um, you know, we're Christians, we love people, we're people with pastoral hearts, we're not experts in everything, we have to know when to signpost people to GPs or other agencies, as I've said before, and we're certainly not an emergency service, we're not available to people 24-7. Brilliant. Well, Thank you, Joe, for that. Um, a lot of experience and pearls of wisdom there. Certainly, we found it so helpful when you came to talk to our leaders. Um, so do use Joe. I'm sure she'd be very happy to go to other places too, or even a phone call and that kind of thing. Um, so that's that's brilliant. Great. Let's um, let's move on to another issue, um, which is that of um, raising up new leaders. Um, we found a little while ago that we were getting to a sticky situation where we were just. So we'd stop seeing people coming through the pipeline. We, we needed new groups, but where were the new leaders um, coming from? And we realised we'd got things slightly out of sync. So we were doing the identifying, recruiting, and then training. Um, and that's where we were going to step. We needed to go back to what, which is what we started with, actually, which was training emerging leaders. So training before the recruiting, because it's far easier to invite someone onto a training um, course with something for them to potentially do something in the future. It's easier for them to commit to training and they're being invested in than it is for them to commit to an, an unknown role that maybe they feel ill-equipped for. So by having the opportunity to spend time with them in the training, explaining what the role might mean and getting alongside them to envision them, um, it meant that actually they were a lot further down the track when we got to actually asking them to do things. And actually it means that when people are then asked to do a role, they're already trained and ready to go. So we found just flipping that around has been really um, helpful to us. Um, and again, it sounds obvious, but we just got out of the habit of doing that for some reason and realised we needed to get back into that. But um, Rob, at Riverside, um, you guys over the last few years have been using a strategy that has helped um, to catalyse um, new groups and to raise up new leaders. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, 
sure. So, um, so as Claire said earlier, I came on staff about three years ago. We've been exploring, exploring the Activate model. Um, and uh, we got to the point where we'd sort of instigated a kind of termly kind of structure to how we run small groups. Um, so we paused our small groups three times a year in order for our leaders to get some rest. Um, but we really wanted to go further. And so as I was exploring this, as I came on staff as well, reading the Activate book and thinking, this is great. Um, but when we tried to talk to our leaders, where we tried to kind of actually um, instill, instill some of that in practice, it just didn't seem to stick for us. Um, now, we could have pushed harder, but there was a real reluctance among some of our older leaders, groups that have been around a little bit longer. They just didn't want to change from the ways that they were doing things. Um, and, and the biggest problem, really, people just weren't stepping up to lead. And, and I think, you know, whether it's a cultural thing or what, I think people are just much happier just chilling out at home with Netflix or something rather than actually getting out there and, and actually stepping into their God-given potential, which breaks my heart. So we were just thinking, we need to do something about this. Um, and then alongside that, the pastoral care challenges as well. I think just we, we were just aware that we knew that people were doing really well were part of an established small group. Even if they were new around the church, they were doing really well and they had that kind of support. So, um, so yeah, so what, one thing we did was um, we, we, uh, we kind of try and tap into lots of different places. We would try and listen to what other people are doing. And we were really struck a couple of years ago when Charles Montgomery came. Um, we're a very diverse church as well, so we were really listening through that kind of lens. And we were hearing some of the things that they were doing around small groups, running these annual small group campaigns. And they were overnight releasing like hundreds of new groups and leaders. And we were like, we want some of that, you know, in our place. So we were like, how can we do that? And so I connected in with um, with one of their small group pastors over there. Um, and we were like, so, so we arranged a Skype call and just kind of really unpacked some of the stuff that they were doing. Um, and with their blessing, stole most of their ideas. Um, but then we found it a little bit easier in the fact that they'd also stolen their ideas from Saddleback. So we we're like, this is good thing. So, um, so, so there's a great book, which I'll try and... Um, Circular. I did have it. It's in my hotel room. I, I apologise. Um, small groups with a um, with a purpose. I'll I'll get the details of that in a minute if you if that would be helpful. But really really helpful book. Um, so here's what we've landed with. And this is what we've been doing over the last three years. Um, so we have one annual small group campaign where all we talk about at Riverside Vineyard is we just talk about small groups the whole time. Um, and so the campaign covers every weekend service. Um, it include, includes youth and our kids as well. Um, and so what we do for the small groups is we produce a bunch of videos, although the first year we did that, we just stole the prayer course from Pete Gregg, uh, which is a, an excellent resource, by the way. If you haven't used that with your small groups, you should totally do that. Um, and we just use that and use their materials, and that really um, saved a lot of work for that first year. Um, and so, and what we did, which was really, really different to anything else, we, we weren't sure that this was the right thing to do at all, um, but we totally lowered the bar for what was we needed to host those groups. And so we were asking pretty much anybody with a pulse could actually host a group, which I'm sure many of you are just thinking, why would you do that? Um, so host stands for four things. So um, it stands for have a heart for people, open up your home or a space. And so we, um, so that kind of neutral space is really helpful for some people. So we invite, um, we open up our church centre. We've got a number of rooms we can do that or do it in a coffee shop, wherever works for you. 
Um, and then serve a snack, and I think this is critical to a vital small group anyway. Um, and then turn on a TV. If you can turn on a TV, you can do those four things, you can basically host a group. So the bar is pretty low, so um, purposely so. Um, and the middle of, um, so right now we're, we're asking people to host, we're just over two weeks, we've got, um, we've got 12 new groups that are just ready to go like that, which is, which is incredible. Um, and, um, and then what we do is we basically just ask them to do that for six weeks. That's all we ask them to do. We don't ask them to do any more than that. It's like, can you do all of those four, um, four things over the space of six weeks? Um, and then we just give them everything they need. So we film the videos, we, um, we, we produce the materials, and, and as simple as you can, we give them everything that they need to be able to do that. Um, and so, um, so what's happened is, is that approximately about half of the groups over the last three years have then continued. Um, and, and I'm just really pressing this hard this year that we just really want to um, ensure that these groups are going to carry on. So, so I feel slightly disheartened, but we, we just bought a bunch of um, Jay Pavak's book last night, and now we know that it's not as great a book as we thought it was after what Jay said last night. So, um, so I'm having second thoughts, but we just want to give them some resources that they can kind of run with off the back of this, so they know that actually there's some things that they can tap into. Um, and, um, and run with that afterwards. So, um, but what we will do at that point, what we've always done is we, we run some small group leaders training straight after this host campaign. So, um, so after those six weeks, we're already having conversations with people um, and um, so we invite them along to training and that's where we're asking them to step into leadership and that's where the rules change. Um, and so that bar is set purposely low straight away and it has meant that we've had to have some difficult conversations with people um, because things change at that point. And it's been a real risk, but you know, we know that's how faith is spelled, isn't it? So it's just that, st that sense of just being really brave with this and just allowing anybody to do that. And it's just been incredible seeing people step up. And so what I've noticed this time is actually a whole bunch of people that used to lead groups um, that we just couldn't get to move. They could, well, they wouldn't do it again. You know, you, you invite them personally, face to face. You try and have conversations with them, and now they're actually stepping back into this and saying, "Hey, I can do that for six weeks." So it's really exciting to see that. Um, and, and and for me, is uh, looking after small groups as part of my role. It's one of the things that I do. Uh, it's so much more sustainable. So it means that it, we throw everything into these few weeks and the build up to that. But actually, the rest of the year, we're not talking about small groups permanently in the same way that we used to. So it's the main focus. It's the main time small groups are launched and starts. It's the time where I need more support. But actually, it means that um, we can release staff resource for other things around the rest of the year as well, which is incredibly helpful. So, yeah. That's wonderful. That is the one. Small Groups with Purpose, How to Create Healthy Communities by Steve Gladen. It's available on all regular retailers, not just Amazon. It's good. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you, Rob, for that. That's fantastic. Great. Moving over to you now, Jason. So, um, as I said, since October last year, you've been doing research into the healthy or the health factors affecting small groups. So, tell us a bit more about that research, where it's headed, and some of the things you've learned so far. Um, Steve, can you pass me that book? I'm um, going to recommend a bubble on the screen. Fantastic. <laughs> Big Impact, Jim Eggley. Um, 
So if we found all the perennial things that the, the larger our church has gone, the more, you hear this by pipeline, have to have more and more steps for people to have more and more chances to engage because people are, are more and more resistant to move on. Not resistant to moving, they're just the more empowering to move along. Um, and one of the big things that we found with our groups is, I'm sure many of you do, is that the pressure that people feel under. I remember when we were at South West London um, a very long time ago, 30 years ago, the small group leaders manual I got when I was 19 literally mm -hmm. was a tome this long. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and actually we find people struggle with one page of a, you know, a, a role profile. Um, so, uh, so trying to do something that's empowering for people, but at the same time making it simple to remember and to keep coming back to culturally as leaders to say this is what makes a healthy group. So um, Steve is on the front row here, <coughs> he's done a lot of work and he's a, a just retired teacher and coach and trainer. Um, and uh, we came across this, a big impact. And this is based on grounded research. The reason this book is so powerful is it's not based on any program. It's not it's not charismatic, non-charismatic, or anything like that. But it's it. What it does is a survey of real churches and real small groups. It's one of the largest longitudinal studies of small groups. It's not an academic study. It's just a real-world study, and says what makes healthy groups grow. Because if you can find those few things, in other words, if you then do those few things, the chances are your group will grow. And obviously we want our groups to grow, we want our people to be able to grow their groups, but without feeling that they have to remember 55 things to do. Anyway, from his research you end up with four things. Um, care, which seems obvious. Um, pray, reach, and empower. Um, and we've adopted this wholesale. These factors work whether you have a degree, a PhD, no education at all, are working class, are poor, all these four health factors are completely independent of whether you spend five hours preparing for a small group or no time preparing for a small group. In other words, just do these four things. That's very crudely. It's a really easy book to read and the four things. So we, we've been trying to say to our church again, our small groups again, four things we want you to do. Care for one another, pray together, reach outside the group, and the empowerment bit is who in the group can we, can we identify and release. That makes sense? It's a very simple thing to distill out of all these documents that we've accumulated over the years on what small group leaders do. Um, you might be su not surprised to find the caring bit is the easiest bit. Small groups find it easy to care for one another. The prayer bit uh, has taken some more work and we've engaged with 24-7 and our groups pray more than ever. The other two are more challenging. The looking outside of a group um, is a challenge, but again, we keep putting the vision to people. A healthy group will look outside itself. In other words, will it invite new people in? Will it, every week, we ask our small group leaders, every week, go through the newsletter that we've got and tell your group what's happening. Offer to babysit for each other. Try and, and that's the empowerment bit as well, reaching out. The, the thing we're finding the biggest challenge of all is the empowerment piece um, as, as potential people and leaders, this is perennial with everyone. How do you find, you know, we ask our small group leaders, anyone in your group is a potential leader who can do those four things? No. <laughs> it's just, they don't even think about it. No. They haven't, either, haven't thought about it, don't want people in their group to leave, or just won't, won't do it. Um, and you look down, the, I look down the list and go, good grief, there's like 20 potential small group leaders in your group. Yeah, is it because you don't want to let people go? Is it because you won't think about it? You're, 
Um, so we, we're finding that one harder and harder as the church has gotten larger and, and people get further and further away from people like me as the senior pastor. Um, and also finding, like you've heard some of these guys, you, you, the, when I go to people and say, look, would you be open to opening up your house and you know, doing the thing that Christians have done for 2,000 years? Really simple, read your Bible together, pray for one another. No. Um, in terms of, I can't do that. I couldn't possibly commit to that. The fear of commitment. Um, and we certainly find that it's endemic everywhere, particularly in London, lifestyles and commuting. So we've tried all these things, lowering hurdles, uh, entry points in. So we've got this uh, pray care region power that we press into. We've tried um, around all of this, um, like you've heard from these guys, uh, rhythms. So asking our groups to stop meeting all year and take term breaks. Um, reasons to do that, again, gives people time off, <coughs> making people think you don't do this forever, allows us to do time in between, makes it easier for people to go to a group they don't meet all year, you have summer off and things like that. Other things we've built around that for lowering hurdles um, are, again, you've got to focus on, I've got so many questions to ask these guys, um, but we've done things like My One Word, Purpose Driven Life we're doing this year, so we say to people, if you're not in a group, here are some groups. Our normal groups are all doing this for the first few weeks, so it's a chance to go, and that's when we try and launch new groups. So again, to get some momentum behind, oh, I can, oh, I want to do that, but it's just for a few weeks. I can do a few weeks and see what happens. And then once people course, they try it, they stick and stay in it. Um, another quick thing to show you, we tried the activity groups thing, and it didn't work for us at all. Um, so what I'm about to say is not contradictory, it's just it didn't work in our context, and I'll say why. We did loads of research, we tried it, we started loads of groups, and what we found in our context in London was that the activity utterly overwhelmed anything Christian and spiritual at all. We ended up with a massive number of people cycling, quiz nights, pub nights, walking, but the people leading them who we tasked with, could you just do some basic check how people are, once we checked that, that just disappeared completely, and we thought we've got a whole lot of people doing activities, and no Christian contact at all. Um, and again, that may be part of our situation where we are. We find where we are, it's not that people have no social life, they have too much of a social life. Mm -hmm. Trying to get them to do something Christian is, is a battle, they've got so many options. So it was a, I'll finish on this, we had a, we had a meeting in our region with a load of the senior pastors. Um, and we were sitting around talking about groups and things that we do, and this was great, and people are stressed, they want relationship and all this stuff. And it was Tom Thompson from Croydon, he's sitting there, while some of the other senior pastors go, I, I don't care if people aren't reading their Bible, as long as they've got relationship and someone's caring for them, and Tom's like this, just shaking his head. And eventually everyone went, what's the matter, Tom? And Tom went, I don't care if they've got relationship, I don't care if they're having fun. He said, those things are important, but the most important thing is they need to be reading their Bible. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a moment in the room we all went, well, what are we chasing after sometimes? Again, I'm not contradicting the activity, it's incredibly powerful and connecting, but it was a sobering moment for us and for me. So in our church now, what we say to people is, the invitation, the vision is, we, we use two phrases. Our small groups are, I've forgotten it. <laughs> this is the sticky, the memorable thought. Sticky, memorable. You can tell it's end of conference, can't you? Uh, everyone looks like they've got jet lag. Um, our small groups are the heartbeat of our church. If you want to know what's happening, want to plug in with us, we say that all the time. So if anyone feels disconnected, small group, small group, small group to connect uh, and do it. But the uh, other thing that we uh, do with our small groups is, is this phrase, say, um, if you want to grow as a Christian, you need to be connecting your life with the Bible with others 
outside of the Sunday once a week. That's the invitation to get connected with God's word. Um, and so we're having much more of a focus away from activities and into maybe if just once in a week you are going through God's word with somebody and putting resources into that. So, yeah, that's enough. Brilliant. Thank you, Jason. That's wonderful. So there's, um, we've touched on a lot of different things there. Um, just to get your thoughts going and just to, if there might be things that you might connect with with the context that you're in. So let's just for the last 10 minutes um, take some questions um, for these guys. So you can... I can try, but I'm not sure it's long enough. So it might be better if you just speak up nice and loud, and, and I'll quickly we'll repeat the question. Yeah, question for Rob. Um, am I right? You're, you're still doing the termly thing, but you only do one training a year. How does that work? Question for Rob. Uh, you're doing the training as a termly thing, uh, but what does it look like through the year? Yeah, doing groups as a termly thing, but the training once a year. The, gr the groups are kind of ongoing, generally ongoing. Uh, there's some that will just go for six weeks and then we'll put some training in there. Uh, I tend to do some small group leaders training sort of, uh, for new leaders uh, probably two or three times a year, actually. So, question for Jason. Uh, I know uh, Jim Inkley was... Uh, very close with Rolf Neighbour and the whole thing of the discipleship process that Neighbour put in place. Now, is any have you tried any of that material? What uh, intentional discipleship? There was also that book, the passport that was done by there was a vineyard produced kingdom oriented that was based on Neighbour stuff. Has anybody found any of that stuff useful here in the UK? What, what are you guys using as discipleship? Very short answer, yes. It's about connections to Ralph Neighbour and yeah. um, some of you may have heard of. Um, and have we tapped into other things around? And the answer is no. Uh, we've been singularly focused on just on those four things, prayer, care, reach, and power, and, and haven't, ma so haven't mapped out. Yeah. No, haven't mapped out any other things from that. Yes, at the back. I have, I have just a question out of curiosity. I was wondering yeah. Great question. Yes, question for the panel. Uh, have you ever engaged people in your church in a kind of a questionnaire or survey around why they are or aren't engaging with small groups? Uh, we have, not for a while. Um, but the interesting thing is you ask people why they don't go, and then if you go back and say, well, good news is, here's how this addresses some of the things, it makes no difference. <laughs> Seriously, it doesn't. So, so what I mean is if, some, if you're surveying some people, the people, there's two things, aren't there? Two realities in church life. There are places where we, we talk about lowering the hurdles, don't we? We've really got to lower the hurdles in our context and culture we're in, and we've got to do those things. That's one truth. But I'm saying what surveys often produce are defended positions that people are in from which they will not move from. Um, and and there's, that, there's, a, there's an interplay between those two dynamics. So it's, I think it's got to the point where we rely mostly now, instead of surveys, it's on anecdotes and research. Some of these books have got great research in, so, we've, we've, so we did, but those are the reasons why we don't anymore. Can I just ask Joe to comment on that? Because Joe, I know you've got some thoughts about kind of wider culture and how that impacts uh, small groups and people's perceptions of how valuable they are. So, yeah, um, I was just thinking about something. Then, just on the back of, of what was asked, 
um, again and again and again, we return to the power of personal invitation. And I think there's, there's no way around it. Um, that's the, the best way to involve people. And, and we're in a bit of a, a place now where we want to see more people in small group for all sorts of reasons. Um, but we know we can't do it on our own as a small group team. We can't do it on our own as a whole staff team. And there are many of us. We need all our small group leaders, cluster leaders, everyone buying in and making sure that everyone gets that golden ticket invitation. Will you come to my group? And, and I think, potential, I'm not saying that that's the silver bullet and that'll, that'll work for everyone, but I, I, I do think um, it makes a difference when there's a personal invitation. The other thing that I think we've woken up to and we've enjoyed hours of conversation about it as a small group team is how culture has changed. Many of us are from a church background and going back years, decades, we're used to attending church at least once a week, maybe twice a week. We're used to going to someone else's home to attend a meeting, something that you referred to earlier, Dan. That's so foreign to the people these days. Um, so we have to be careful that we're not cloaked in assumptions that we're not aware of and we're reading into situations assuming that we know the answers when in fact we're not actually understanding the culture that we're in. People are busy, kids are busy, they're overstimulated, they're on social media all the time and they think that they have friends. They think because they are connected to 252 people on Facebook that they've got 252 friends. They haven't. That's not deep, authentic relationship that only comes over time and when you're getting to know someone and you're giving of yourself and that person is giving to you. So I think we're on a journey now where we're realising we can't make those assumptions anymore and we have to be really clear communicating to our leaders why small group is important um, and baseline, we were made to be in community. That's how we thrive in community. That's what we're meant to live out our faith in terms of forgive one another, love one another. You can only do it if there's someone else there to, to do that with. But we're in such an individualistic society that a lot of people, that's that's foreign thinking that they kind of like need to, to get their heads around. Um, Shall I leave it there? Brilliant. That's great. If you could just come and repeat that to all our people at yeah. seven, that'd be awesome. <laughs> We'd Rob, pay you well. Rob, you had something you wanted to add to that, yeah? Yeah, I, I just wanted to touch on the fact that we're, we're really a diverse church, and so we have something like 45 different nations represented, and what we recognise is that, um, that it, it looks different for different types of people to be in, in, in a group. So so whereas our, our kind of pattern was kind of like, you know, let's do life together, it's all about it, but that's where I've kind of come from, um, you know, white middle class working class kind of background that's what we're all about but for some people it just looks different and so for some of our guys it's just like all about the bible all about prayer or that's it no, don't worry about the other stuff because we're getting it anywhere and in other places and so i think it's just that recognition that different types of people need different types of groups and so um and so yeah through the kind of lens of all these different things we've been talking about i think it's incredibly helpful to know that just because something works for you and i does not mean it works for our neighbours or anyone else and so we just need to create as many different types of space as we can for people to enter into. Is it too late to ask a No, we've just got time for one or two more. You choose, huh? Oh, there was a, I saw guys hadn't been there for quite a while. Let's go for the guys. Have any of you guys got any experience in, in taking these small groups into more of a missional kind of um, framework? I think ours just gets so 
We, Just to repeat the question, have you got any experience or comments on uh, making small groups more missional and less kind of maybe inward focused or, or community focused? From the outset we've always made it quite clear that blessing the community is one of the most important values for any small group. So we have um, a system whereby we encourage every small group to do some kind of blessing the community activity once a term and they get an £80 budget to do that. Um, however, what we're now moving towards is actually um, how much more effective would it be if you keep concentrating on the same people that are in your street, in your office, in your home, in your family, and keep pouring out that, oh, come out for a dinner party, and we're going to do this and that and the other, and just keep embracing, drawing people in. So that that's the kind of uh, things that we've done, and we've had parties in the park, and, and um, what's that? Uh, like baking competitions in people's homes and things like that where people have had a hoop together but those relationships that already exist have gone a bit deeper and provided an opportunity for people to potentially talk about their faith in terms of why on earth would you do this well this is why we want to love our neighbours we've had a few groups one of the things we found that activate has done for us is that people have tended to quite often put up a course you know, so if they want to do freedom in Christ, that will be their small group for this term. Um, so we, it was also meant that people will sometimes dare for a term to do something completely different. So one group, for example, decided they were going to go up on um, the estate with the worst reputation in Melton and have a group and just pray, uh, prayer walk around it, invite people in. And they had a number of young people who came in and they just prayed and prophesied over them. And I don't think they could have coped with thinking I'm going to lead this kind of group forever. But they thought, okay, it's a term. We'll give it a whirl. If nobody turns up, it doesn't matter because we'll disband at Christmas. And a number of young people did come, and so they then carried it on into the next term. Um, and we've had a few kind of groups like that where people think, oh, well, I, I can give it a whirl for a, for a term. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Time for one last question, Claire. I think we're going to have to. It's quarter two. So I think, unfortunately, we're going to have to draw a line there. Um, as I said, this is a conversation starter. If you want to continue to connect with people on this whole subject, please do sign up on that sheet that went round, and we'll keep connected with you. And also, if you're happy for um, Jason and Stephen to contact you um, about with regards to their research, then that would be great. Um, these guys are going to be here as well, and we've had the details on here, so you know who they are. You can always email them. They'll be happy for you to contact them some other way. But do stick around and ask questions directly here but if you give them a round of applause say thank you for the, for the